1961, the Russians put the first man into space. Afterwards, the Russian premier famously said that when the cosmonaut went into space, he discovered no God there. In response, C.S. Lewis wrote an article in which he said that if there is a God who created us, we cannot discover him by going up into the sky or into the heavens. Because God would not relate to human beings the way a man on the first floor uh, relates to a man on the second floor. Rather, God would relate to his creation the way that Shakespeare relates to Hamlet. Shakespeare is the creator of Hamlet and, and Hamlet's world. Likewise, for man to know God, God must reveal himself. In the same way that if Hamlet were to know about Shakespeare, Shakespeare would have to put information about himself into the play. You see, God has revealed himself in his word and in our world. Christmas is the time of year that we celebrate the pinnacle of God's self-revelation. The advent of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Christmas is indeed that, that tipping point in the ancient war between uh, the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. The snake crusher is hidden within the womb of an unknown virgin girl. All of God's promises are being Fulfilled. And Matthew takes the camera and puts it squarely on a man named Joseph. And he walks us through an unusual engagement, marriage, and honeymoon. We'll just really see the engagement this week. We're in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And the, the main idea of the section is. Uh, is this, that Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel. And he is the only one who can save us from our sins. And so the exhortation is this, to, to wake up, just believe, and do what God says. Obey. Obey God's word. We'll go through the section by considering uh, the situation the incarnation, God's initiative, and Joseph's response. Let's pray and we will begin our time together this morning. Father, we, we come before you on a gray Sunday morning to celebrate the light of the world, to celebrate the fact that you came, sorry, you sent Jesus to save us. Lord, we, we ask that you would help us to offer you our attention and our worship during these next moments. Pray that you would forgive our sins afresh that we might hear you with listening ears. Lord, let your word be balm to our souls. We need you as much today as we ever have. Help us to eat of the bread of life. 
to drink of the living water that is available to us in Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Verse 18, Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is a precarious situation that Joseph finds himself in. I mean, let's put ourselves in Joseph's shoes for for just a second and, and imagine this in 21st century terms. Now, Joseph has met the, the gal of his dreams. She makes his heart go pitter-patter. He feels maybe a little twitter-pated to her. Disney reference there, for those of you who are wondering. He's got that, you know, we're going to the chapel, we're, we're going to get married, going in his head. And then uh, one day, his fiance uh, says to him, look, we, we need to talk. Joseph, being the good guy that he is, says, well, of course, whatever it is, honey, we we can work it out. We will we'll get through this. She replies, well, the, the thing is, listen, just, I, I have been completely faithful, completely pure. I've kept myself for you. But, but I'm also pregnant. It, it don't, no, 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 no. Listen, listen. Pregnant with the Son of God by the Holy Spirit. I know it's hard, but that's what's up. You imagine Joseph kind of laughing. <laughs> okay, shut up, stop it. And then like this eerie silence eventually descending over the room that they're in as he recognizes, like, wait a minute, she's serious. She's pregnant. Now the reality is, that, though I like to kind of imagine it this way, the reality is, is that relationships were a bit different in the first century, and so it's unlikely that Joseph and Mary knew each other very well at all it's really unlikely that they would have been afforded any kind of private time for them to have such a conversation. In fact, in the first century, the way you got engaged or betrothed was, was a guy's parents. Uh, they went out and they found a, a gal's parents and an appropriate girl, and they said, we would, you know, we would like you to be our son's wife. Uh, they would then pay the bride price to uh, the family, and the family would say, all right, we're going to do this betrothal thing. That would be phase one. And then phase two, uh, in a formal agreement between the two parties, the, the guy and the girl would make their betrothal official. And this was a legally binding contract, such that uh, the man would be considered the husband, and the woman would be considered the wife, 
even though they had not yet consummated their marriage, and even though the wife would continue to live with her parents until the wedding date. Phase three, at the conclusion of about a year, there would be a big processional from the bride's home to her new home, be a big party, and then the couple would consummate their marriage and be officially wed. Wife would move in with, with husband. Now, during the course of all this, it was considered adultery if any sexual activity outside of marriage were to take place. It wasn't, wasn't a good idea to do that. There was no cohabitation. There was, there was no um, checking under the hood of the car uh, before the, the wedding date. It would bring great shame to participate in any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage, even during this betrothal period, which is way more serious than our engagement period. Which is why, if some of you, if you're like me and you're reading, they were engaged and she's found to be with child, and so Joseph, he's going to seek divorce. If you're like me, you're going, wait a minute, divorce? Right, well, that's why, because they looked at the betrothal period differently, that's why divorce is necessary. Uh, their commitment was a binding one. And so you'll notice that Joseph is seeking to divorce Mary quietly as an expression of his righteousness. Did you notice that? It's a little odd thing in the text, right? You see, uh, where is it, verse 19. Joseph, being a righteous man or a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. This is an instance where uh, divorce is not a sinful action for Joseph. It's actually an expression of his righteousness. Because he is right and a just man, his, his character is unassailable, He's going to divorce from this woman who has apparently run around on him. Now, this would be an occasion for sometimes men to publicly shame their wives. There were two options here. You could divorce her in public in front of the whole town and, and really humiliate her and try to save some face for yourself. Or you could do what, what it seems like Joseph's decided to do, which is to divorce her very quietly, just two witnesses, to forego seeking any vengeance against the one who had wronged you. I think there's something to learn from Joseph here, is there not? Mercy is always a good thing. We should follow Joseph's example. Christians should not be people consumed with vengeance concerned with getting a pound of flesh when we are wronged. I'm curious, if somebody that were engaged to you or your spouse was unfaithful to you, would you be filled with vengeance or mercy? I wonder, is there somebody in your life right now that when, when you think of them, there is an anger boiling within you. You want revenge. Friends, revenge will consume you. 
leave any appropriate vengeance to God. Follow Joseph's example here. Be a righteous person, full of, of mercy and kindness. These are befitting of those who, these qualities are befitting of those who follow Jesus. Jesus is the one who has had mercy on sinners like you and me. And we ought to be merciful to others as those who have received mercy. Joseph is a, a just man, and so he is deciding to divorce Mary quietly. That's the situation. And there's a bit on the line here, but we'll get to that in a second. First, I, I want to look at what exactly this angel was telling Joseph in verses 20 through 23. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The angel is showing up and he is saying to Joseph, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child that is within her womb is not the result of immorality, but it is the result of the work of the immortal, invisible God. It is the Holy Spirit who has created life in her. What is in her is from God, the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid to take her as your wife. Any quotes from Isaiah chapter 9, which would have certainly... This is the one, Mary's pregnant with the one who will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is Emmanuel. He's going to be God with us. You're going to call him Jesus or Yahweh saves because he's going to save his people from their sins. This announcement is incredible. Joseph is being told that Mary is pregnant with the God-man with the Messiah. This is the wonderful reality of the incarnation. This means that God the Son, while never ceasing to be who He is or what He was, becomes what He is not. He becomes a man. He takes on to Himself a second human nature. He's fully God and fully man. The incarnation is a miracle of addition, you see. God the Son adds to himself a human nature. And we have to, to take a moment and ponder this staggering truth of the incarnation. God the Son, the creator and sustainer of the universe, becomes a helpless baby who requires diaper changes and depends 
on a nursing mother for nutrition. The God of the universe enters our sinful world and our suffering so that he might become killable. So that he might die to save us from our sins. This incarnation is is mind-boggling. God is born. The unmade, stay with me now, becomes made. The invisible becomes visible. The creator becomes part of his creation. Imagine Jesus, we were explaining himself to us a little bit in some colloquial terms. He might say, well, on my father's side, everything that exists was made through me. I sustain the universe like a singer sustains a musical note. And and on my mother's side, I get hungry and thirsty. I was a baby. I had to grow in wisdom and stature. Did you think about this? that, That Jesus knew what it was to have parents and brothers and sisters, and family meals. I always love J.I. Packer's quote, there's nothing in fiction that is so fantastic as the incarnation. This is an incredible truth, that God became a man so that he might save us. And it's a foundational truth to Christianity. We see it spelled out for us. A number of places, starting with John 1, where we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through Him. And apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in Him, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness has not Overcome it. And then in verse 14 of John 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory. The glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and of truth. Jesus is the Word made flesh. In Colossians 1, we read, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Firstborn here is a statement of Jesus' priority, not his origin. God the Son has existed eternally. There never was a time when God the Son was not. He's the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him. Everything in heaven and on earth. The visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and exist for him. He is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him bodily, and through Him to reconcile everything to Himself, making peace through the blood of His cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Jesus is the God who holds everything together. Hebrews 1, 
Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by His word, the word of His power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Don't be afraid, Joseph, to take Mary as your wife, because what is in her is from the Holy Spirit, and the life that the Holy Spirit has created in Mary is going to bring life to the world. Because what is in Mary is very God of very God. It's God in the flesh. You are going to call His name Jesus because He will conquer Rome. No, that's not what He says, though that would have fit with Jewish messianic expectation. No, you will call Him Jesus because He will save His people from their sins. Remember, Jesus means Yahweh saves. The God of the Old Covenant is the God in the New Covenant. The God who has promised to bring, to bring blessing to all the nations through the forever Davidic King is going to bring salvation, that is forgiveness of sins, to all who will believe through the forever Davidic King, Jesus. Jesus will save His people from their sins. This, would again, would have hit the Jewish audience a little weird because they were expecting, like, if the Messiah is going to come, surely he's going to rescue us from our political enemies. Right? If he only, if he only brings us a sort of spiritual salvation, he's not really much of a Messiah, is he? And yet what, what Matthew wants us to know here is that our greatest problem, their greatest problem, was not their political oppression, but their sin. Brothers and sisters, your greatest problems are not financial, not necessarily relational with one another. Your greatest problem is it's not racism or poverty or oppression or war. The greatest problem for you and for all of humanity is your rebellion against God. That's what sin is. Your greatest problem is that God has said you are to worship Him and Him alone and to have no gods before Him. And you have said, no. And the penalty for that for sinning against one who is so holy and so majestic and so glorious and great. The right penalty for that is death stretched out across eternity in hell. That is our greatest problem. And Matthew announces through the lips of an angel to Joseph, you're going to call him Jesus because He will save His people from their sins. He will save His people from 
their greatest problem. Jesus will rescue and ransom all of His people from their sins. You go, who who are Jesus' people? The answer is, anyone who believes. Anyone who calls out to Him in faith. Jesus comes to save those who belong to Him. Shall we call Jesus because He saves His people from their sins? Do not be afraid, Joseph. What is in Mary is from the, the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid to take her as your wife. The life that is in her will bring life to the world. He will save His people from their sins. Don't, don't be afraid, Joseph, to take Mary as your wife because the baby in her belly very God of very God, is Emmanuel, God with us. I do love how Matthew bookends his gospel. Here he's telling us that Jesus is God with us. John says that in chapter 1, right, the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Sometimes I... Sometimes I feel like we miss how incredible a truth this is just because we've gotten so used to it. Remember in Leviticus, uh, all the bloody sacrifices in the temple and the Holy of Holies, and only the high priest could go into the presence of God and the Holy of Holies, and only once a year, and only with blood that had been shed. And then what John is saying in, in, in John 1 is he's saying that very presence of God that was once localized in the Holy of Holies is now localized in a person. And he's not hidden behind walls in a curtain. No, he's dwelling among sinners. Matthew is saying, the very presence of God, that sinners, when they try to enter into that holiness, that holiness consumes them like the sun consumes a piece of tissue paper. That very presence of God is in the womb of your betrothed. He is God with us. He's going to save His people from their sins. As Matthew says, He's God with us in chapter 1. And then we get to the end of Matthew's Gospel in Matthew 28. And what, is, what are the last words of the book of Matthew? They come on the lips of Christ. Do you remember? I am with you always to the end of the age. Emmanuel is God with us. Jesus comes to save His people from their sins and He tells us, I'm God with you. You're my blood-bought people. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. You are going to sin against me over and over again and I am going to forgive you over and over again because you're mine. Jesus is God with us. This is the glory of the incarnation. He comes to save His people from their sins and to bring us into the presence of God together. And in the presence of God together, we give Him the glory and worship and praise that He is due. Still, there is that question, and we've kind of answered it already, but I want to raise it more explicitly. Why did God become a man? Wasn't there... Another way to accomplish human salvation? 
short answer is no. We, we cannot make up for our sins. We cannot do penance and earn God's forgiveness. His forgiveness is given, not earned. And so hear me, the message of Christmas and of Christianity is this. Human salvation must be the work of God Himself because you and I cannot do it. We can't work out our own salvation. Christmas means that we are so lost, so dead in sin, so unable to save ourselves that nothing less than the incarnation, death, and resurrection of the Son of God Himself could save us. Christmas, therefore, is the most unsentimental and realistic way we could possibly look at life. Christmas does not say, hey guys, uh, cheer up, you know, we are the world, let's sing together. We can, we can just pull together, we'll make the world a better place, things will be great. Christmas doesn't say that. Christmas says, we need a Savior that we cannot save ourselves. And the whole point of Christmas and of Christianity is to announce that God came to save us. Jesus was born in Bethlehem and placed in a manger so that he could be hung on a cross on a hill outside of Jerusalem. The cradle is about the cross. We cannot isolate the incarnation from the atonement. The reason for the incarnation is the atonement, is the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus is His name. There's no name that's sweeter or more wonderful. There's something about that name, the old song. Jesus, Master and Savior. He saves His people from their sins. He is God with us. Also notice, God takes the initiative in this whole project. Mary does not come to God and say, hey, you know what would be great is if Holy Spirit came and you know, God the Son took on flesh and became a little baby in my womb. What do you think? Joseph did not go to God and say, hey, I've got a great idea. How about my betrothed gets pregnant with a child that's not mine, and then we, we get married. And then on our, our honeymoon a few years down the road, we like flee to Egypt, and we, we move all around, and our whole lives, everything that we dreamed of and thought that we would have, that all kind of gets shattered and rearranged so that we can you know, work out our part in the story. This isn't Mary's idea. It's not Joseph's idea. Uh, the gospel is not the creation of any man. It is the wisdom of God. God is the one who takes the initiative. God shows up and says, Mary, you're going to be with child. 
by way of the Holy Spirit. God shows up and says, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife and Jesus as your son. Because this is my work. What am I getting at here? The Holy Spirit creates life and calls forth human response. Our salvation is the result of God's initiative and God's grace, not our own good ideas. Christmas does not come as the result of human ingenuity, but because of God's initiative. Really, we have in the lives of Mary and of Joseph kind of a a paradigmatic portrait of Christianity, of what happens to us all. One commentator put it this way, and I, I love it. He says this, When Jesus Christ comes to anyone in history, even in his advent coming to Mary, it is always the work of the Spirit, not of human preparation or enterprise. Every conversion is a virgin birth. With human beings, this new life is impossible. But with God, absolutely everything is possible. The Holy Spirit is the miraculous how of the new birth. I love that. Every conversion is a virgin birth. Where there wasn't life, God the Holy Spirit said, let there be life and light. And his work calls forth our response of faithful obedience. If you're a Christian, you should rejoice at the grace God has given you. This is incredible. You should remind yourself that your salvation is not the consequence of being really smart or being really good-looking or being really well-liked. Maybe you're all of those things. Maybe you're none of them. Your salvation depends on none of that, but solely on the grace of God. If you're a non-Christian, I want to encourage you, God calls life out of death. He can put light in the place of darkness. Put light of the world in Mary's womb He can put the light of life in you. Perhaps you find yourself this morning desiring to believe. The Holy Spirit is creating that life in you. I want to encourage you, believe. Repent of your sin. Be baptized. Follow Jesus together with the church. God is the author of life. He gives the new birth. All by His grace alone. God takes the initiative. Still, we are left at Matthew going, well, how, how will Joseph respond? Look with me at verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Now, I want to point this out. That word until is, tips us off to something. Right? No here is no sexually, okay? And so 
that what we're being told is that Joseph did not have sex with Mary until she had given birth to a son. This flies in the face and repudiates the contrived Roman Catholic doctrine of the perpetual virginity of Mary. Until has an end. Joseph and Mary, after Jesus is born, they have regular sexual intercourse. As married couples are commanded to do in 1 Corinthians 7. They consummate their marriage and they have other children. There are brothers and sisters in the gospel. It's important to point that out. To say that Mary was not a perpetual virgin as if there's any moral superiority in a married woman abstaining from sexual activity. There's, there's not. Mary's not less because she consummated her marriage with Joseph. Mary is not to be worshipped as if she were on some higher plane of existence. The sinner like you and I, that God used to fulfill his good purposes. A model disciple, yes. A mediator? Sinless? Absolutely not. One has to ascribe to a tortured reading of this text to come up with anything else. Digression aside, let me read that again. Uh, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Joseph has no speaking parts in the New Testament. His obedience does the speaking for him. Mary doesn't deny that God will do what he tells her he's going to do. She simply asks, how? In faith. What godly parents Jesus had. Friends, don't ever downplay the importance of believing parents in the life of a child. You are a parent. How you live and obey God's word will impact your children. Jesus had to grow in wisdom and stature. And like most kids, his primary teachers, Mary and Joseph. Parents matter. What a godly family Christ was blessed with. Still, this, this wouldn't be an easy decision for Joseph, right? And there are some significant things that, that hang on his decision to divorce Mary or to marry Mary. One being the messianic lineage of Jesus. Remember the genealogy we are given in chapter 1 is Joseph's lineage. Neil, we are talking about this in Sunday school this morning. How does, how does Jesus get into that line? Because he comes from Mary. And the answer is adoption. So if Joseph decides not to marry Mary and take her child as his own, well then Jesus' resume genealogy that Matthew just laid out is not worth a whole lot. 
And Matthew means for us to make this connection. You see in verse 20 what the angel says when addressing Joseph. He calls him Joseph, son of David. Connect these two accounts. He's saying Jesus is qualified to be king, king, king because he is in the family of Joseph who is a son of David. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He will be born of the Virgin Mary and adopted by the man Joseph who was a son of David. And by right, he too is a son of David, qualified to be the Messianic disciple. This is a a tough decision for Joseph. And it's not insignificant. And he resolves to believe God's word and obey. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. This seems very simple, does it not? We have that picture of salvation. God comes to us. He takes the initiative. He gives us His Word. We wake up from death. We believe, and then we obey His Word. It seems seems very simple to obey God's Word. Why then is it so hard for us to follow Jesus rather than our culture? Following Christ always comes with a cross. For Mary and Joseph, it meant that most likely they would be social pariahs. They would be treated as a scandalous couple. Sexual sin was rightly abhorred and seen as utterly sinful. They would be shamed. He would be called a a cuckold. She would be called a whore. Their child would be called bastard. Joseph and his family, if he were to make this decision, were signing up for shame. Following Christ comes with a, a cost. Likewise, to follow Jesus today comes with a cost. Our culture is transformed once more into an honor and shame sort of deal. It's in the different direction, though. Now the shame comes if one hasn't had a sexual encounter prior to marriage. Now the shame comes for anyone who would argue that marriage is designed to be between a man and a woman and is the only right context for sexual activity. Shame comes to those who would suggest that there is a God who is there and who has entered history to save His people from their sins. Shame comes to those who would argue that Jesus really did rise From the dead. There's a cost to following Christ. The question is, will you pay it? I think every day we go, yes, it is worth it. Pay the cost. It's a long-term investment. 
that will yield eternal rewards. I know obedience to God's word in all these arenas is difficult, yet we, we must take the posture of Joseph who obeyed and did as the Lord commanded him. We must take the posture of Mary who responded to the Lord's word, Luke 1.38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Friends, do not be afraid to submit to Jesus Christ as Lord. Do not be afraid to put your faith in Jesus. He forgives His people of their sins. Do not be afraid to follow Emmanuel. He is God with us. Do not fear to take up your cross and follow Christ. He will never leave you or forsake you. The night may seem dark, but a light has dawned. The light that shines in the darkness is only going to get brighter. The darkness will not overcome it. Do not fear the night. Trust in the light of the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this staggering truth that God the Son, Jesus, whom you sent, came, came to save us. How marvelous, how wonderful is this love you have for your people. Incredible enough to make the angels sing. Lord, help us to meditate on this incredible truth and to joyfully follow you wherever you lead. Through the pain of broken dreams, unmet expectations. Help us to walk by faith when we do not see. Help us to follow those godly examples of Joseph and of Mary. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.